Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy who's extremely vague about money. <laughs> and I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we have Pete here today. Hey, guys. I'm Pete. I'm an addict, and uh, I love money, and I love finances. <laughs> awesome. So uh, we're going to talk about financial health today, which I think is a topic in recovery that we never, ever talk about, honestly. I, I don't remember in detox ever encountering any financial planning advice. I don't remember that in early recovery. In fact, I think we've kind of talked about in our traditions, uh, you know, 12-step programs almost suggest that the less money we have, the better off we are in a way in our traditions. And I, I've found that completely fascinating. And it's not a wonder that none of us become rich um, mm -hmm. because and of that suggestion. And of course, as an addict, it's like drugs Money and sex. Right. <laughs> That's right. the trifecta of a happy life. <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? right? Yes. So, yeah. So uh, just before we get started, did want to thank uh, Sarah and Julie for their continued contributions. And uh, maybe maybe you guys don't want to listen to the financial health episode because they might suggest <laughs> you don't donate to... Stop giving your money to us. Right. Don't donate to shitty podcast. That's dumb. Um, so yeah, don't don't take what we say today too seriously if you are helping us out. But let's uh let's hop into our financial health topic. So Pete, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you're here today? Sure. Um well, as an addict, you know, I want to give back. I want to give back to the community and help as many people as I can. Um I've got a really busy life. I've got a young child. I've got, you know, a full-time job, got a house, um working a program of recovery, working a program of recovering from chronic pain as well mm. and you know um if i can get an opportunity to give back and and help some people i'd love to do it that's so interesting that you you said you have a little kid and the first thing i think of is i want to say congratulations right because that seems appropriate and i'm like congratulations you had sex like I what, what is that congratulations that comes up when people say that right it's like when people uh, we were somewhere yesterday and they i have a two-year-old and they're like oh she's so adorable and like the natural thing is to say thank you, but I'm like, I didn't do nothing to make that. Like, it just <laughs> right. happened. I didn't. Am I taking credit? Right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, if when we're talking about financial health, I, I think the interesting part for people that come into recovery, we are probably in some of the worst financial shape uh, of anybody out there. I would imagine. Like, okay, so you're talking about the 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 crackhead. Right? Like, and, and I'm not talking about any crack at me, right? I, I smoked crack. I shot Coke. Like I did not have money at the end of my using. I could not get money from anybody personally, much less a private loan or anything. I was in debt. I, if anybody had ever given me a credit card, I had found out the passcode <laughs> to get the money off of that credit card and overextended it. Or when it stopped letting me do that, I was like, buying cartons of cigarettes and selling them half price with it right like <laughs> i was just wrecking my my credit i was wrecking everything about finances i and, and billy kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago before we started recording like i had been exposed to the idea of having a bank account investing money a little tiny bit that wasn't really something we weren't rich growing up like we didn't yeah. we weren't investors right we just had a couple of dollars to throw into a cd or something sure. but some of these concepts were familiar to me but but like billy said i've run into quite a few people who their home life and upbringing no they've never yeah. heard of a bank account you know they might not have a, a license or, or an id or a social yeah. security card or so what one maybe why do we always avoid this conversation about money? And two, where do we even start? Sure. So, you know, for your first question, why do we avoid it? It's because money is uncomfortable, you know? Mm. It, it, and it's kind of like talking about sex, you know? Either you love to have sex and you talk about it, or <laughs> you're just kind of like, that's something I want to keep to myself, you know? 
I know a lot of people that are very open about their finances. And to me, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I'm not the type of person that wants to put my financial situation out there. Um, so, you know, to, to get started in life, you know, as you come into recovery and we were talking about this before we started as well, you know, if you're, if you're in a recovery house or a halfway house and you've gotten a job, your your first step really just needs to be start saving that money. Because when you get out on your own, you're going to need to have a cushion. You don't need to have six or eight months of expenses as you're starting out, but you need to get in your mind, you need to make a budget and you can write it down or which I would recommend writing it down. Um, or if you have it in your head, at least, you know, I have this much money coming in each month. I know my rent is this. I know my phone bill is going to be this. You need to have those expenses covered. And before you can talk about savings and before you can talk about investing, you need to have a, a really good understanding of your ins and outs in that budget. And what do I have a buffer for? Do I have 50 bucks a paycheck that I can put into a savings account? What are my short-term saving goals? You know, do I want to get a vehicle? Which, as we also talked about, I don't think that that should be your top priority. If you're able to have that job and work it without a vehicle, then that that is an expense that you don't need right away. Hmm. That's you know? interesting because yeah. I feel like one of the reasons or, or at least the justifications that's always given for getting a vehicle is that gives me access to get better jobs. It does. But I think as you're starting out that, you know, you have to take it baby steps, you know, with that movie, what about Bob? It's all baby <laughs> steps, man. You know, one step at a time. And the first thing you need to do, I would think the first thing that I would want would be a roof over my head, you know, mm. get that apartment, make sure that you're, you're covering your rent each month so you don't get evicted and have that expense. Um, you know, if you look at your finances, either on a weekly basis, if you get paid weekly or biweekly, Take it to the month, you know, multiply it out by two or four and say, okay, at the end of the month, I'm making $2,000 in cash. That's what I'm bringing home. My rent's 500 bucks. My pay, my phone bill is 150. So that gives you what? 1350 left. And you have food, electricity, water, all those bills. You, got, you have to incorporate all of those. And then what you have left at the end of the month, that is, that is what you can start either saving or putting towards, you know, your next big expense that you want to uh, purchase i noticed you didn't mention any allowance in there <laughs> well no so but that's that's a really good point i mean obviously you have to have some spending money you right. know you ha you know that you're going to go out after meetings you know you're going to meet friends for coffee so yeah give yourself a couple hundred bucks or a hundred bucks um a paycheck whatever it is but you got to stick to it too it takes discipline right. and and it's i i know that that's not easy and that's a terrible word for an addict. <laughs> but um you know when you, when you come into recovery, I mean, you're you're basically starting your life over, right? And you're you're starting this new way of living, and you're hanging out with people that have started their new way of living. So these are just steps and suggestions that will help you <clears throat> start to gain a, a grasp and understanding of your financial picture at that point. So I'm curious because I I grew up in Baltimore, right? And my idea was, yeah, you you can walk to work like there's. 48 different places within five minutes I can walk to. How many buses accessible? Right. The buses. Yeah, I was, I didn't take the, I was walking. Fuck that. Bus. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, like there was options for getting around without a car. And it's interesting that you mentioned that like the car is not the most important. Cause I look at life out here in Cecil County and I'm yeah. like, well, Christ, you're not working if you don't have a car. Well, that's, that's a really good point. And I think that, um, your circumstances will dictate that. Right. But you know, I've just seen it time and time again where I, I, I see young people come into the program and they're just focused on that car. You know, that car is the thing that they need and then it'll be okay and then life will be better. And they end up just going down Route 40 and going to Baltimore and mm. just starting all over again and right. reinventing that wheel. And, and and that is that is my that is why my suggestion to not get a car right away is the way that I validate it is because I, I just see it over and over. You know, and once you get that little thought in your mind, you know, you can't get it out. And so the and no car is like removing access to the it is to the right? ease of drugs yep. in your mind. OK, it does. What about people who, who money's such a big trigger for? How do they help themselves with that? So that so that's difficult because I, I know a lot of people, too, where you have money in your pocket. It's just burning a hole. Well, I can tell right? you what I do is you get a wife and then you just let her <laughs> control all the money and then. For years, I tried to do it, and then I was like, no, why don't you just do this, and I'll just get an allowance. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that works better. I, I'm just I'm there. You go. Get with away. Hey, hey, but you know what? That that's a really good point, Billy. I mean, if if you're in a situation where I don't know, say say your parents take you back in, or someone else does that you trust, give them your money. You know, let mm. them put it into the bank accounts. Let them give you an allowance. You know, sign an agreement if you want to. Whatever validates it for you that hey, I'm going to give you my check. You're going to pay my bills. And you're going to give me my allowance for the week or two. And when it's gone, it's gone. And and what that does too is that'll hopefully will reinforce in your mind that I've got this amount of money to spend. So what do I want to spend it on each week? You know, do I want to just, uh, you know, let it burn a hole in my pocket? Do I want to go get like a, a PS5 right away? Is that my main goal? And and buy video games? Well, that's great. But you know what? You, you buy that PS5, you're out of money for like two months, man. Right. <laughs> you know? And, and with that... Like, so that was my thing is, you know, we'd be doing okay. I'd pay the bills. We'd have a little bit of extra money. And in my head, it's like, oh, yeah, a new uh, softball bat and glove sounds like a great idea. I can drop $300 on that. And it sounds good in my head because it's important to me. But now what I find is when I have to go ask her about it before I spend that money, (laughs) you know, it's like it's it's just like anything with with addicts like my best thinking gets me into trouble all the time. And I don't go into most situations thinking I'm going to just fuck my whole life up right now (laughs) with this decision. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm going to do it anyway. It's like, I go into it with the best intentions and the, just some blinders or some naive, you know, thinking that gets me into trouble. Yeah. And that's a great point too. I mean, so ask your sponsor, run it by him. Like, Hey, yeah. Having that accountable person. I want to buy a PS5. I'm 40 years old. I can't make ends meet. Is that a good idea? (laughs) I can't get my sponsees to ask me about serious stuff. That's less (laughs) their money. (laughs) So, I mean, that's one of the things though, like money is pretty serious. I mean, as we kind of touched on before this and I just, before we got into this podcast, did a little bit of looking into it. And I mean, I think the uh, American Psychiatric Association said that 75% of families consider money a stressor. Mm. So you figure, you know, if you had addicts, I, I know that number's got to be higher for yeah. most addicts. It's probably got to be close to 99% of addicts are not financially stable mm-hmm. <laughs> people. So that creates right. a huge amount of stress and a huge amount of worry and, mm. and problem that, you know, it's hard to face sometimes. But as, you know, as we're talking about this, is it a stressor because 95% of addicts don't know how to manage their money right? and, and just don't know how to handle it? They see it as, you know, their ticket to the candy store and their ticket back to Baltimore or, or whatever it is, you know, as opposed to, hey, this is this is like a means for me to live and a means for me to improve my life and slowly see things get better. So so money in general, I think it, it's a, it's a lot like an investment, okay? So investments take time to compound, okay? Mm-hmm. You could put away 10 grand a year for 5 years and be like, "You know what? Great, I got 55,000 at the end of those 5 years. You know, I've made I've made 10% in 5 years. That that kind of sucks." Yeah. But <laughs> hey, first of all, it's better than a savings account where you get 0.01%, okay? <laughs> right, right. You can't even beat inflation. But it's time in the markets, it's time in investments that is where the magic works. That's where the compounding happens. So, you know, five years doesn't look that great, but you know what? 10 years looks a whole lot better. 15 years, way better. 20 years, amazing. Compounding is just, you know, in a, they call it like the eighth wonder of the world. Some people do, you know, it's mathematically, it's just, it's, it's a great concept and, and it works. But I guess where I was going with this is, you know, if you have that money, that is your means to start slow and and that's my point is you know compounding doesn't happen overnight it happens over a long period of time whereas you know building your life back happens over a long period of time mm-hmm. you know if if you're starting over again at 25 26 you should have a you need to have an expectation that yeah I'm going to get a job I'm going to get a place to live I'm going to work a program and slowly things get better day by day not Huh. instantaneously yeah. instant it, gratification man yeah and instant in- gratification is just <laughs> it's a myth <laughs> it's it's what we love as addicts absolutely but that right. that doesn't happen in the financial world unless right. you pick i mean okay so even if you picked out amazon right as right. a stock you would have waited 25 years to get that big bang that we're having right now you know right. Right. and you would have seen it going down and up and down but that is where patience and, and time come into factor and yeah. isn't some of it just luck i mean 
educated luck, but still, it's like gambling. So, so, well, so yes and no. Um, basically, if you want, if you want to go to the investment side of things, um, you know, there there's luck involved in the, in the sense that you know it, the company is going to keep earning more and more money. But there are different ways to evaluate a company and see whether or not, hey, is this company financially sound? Are they meeting all their debt obligations? Do they have all this extra cash coming in? When you see that picture, that's when you say, you know what, I can put an educated guess and an educated bet on that investment that it's going to pay off and it's going to get better over time. If you look at a company, and this is where a lot of people are getting caught up today, okay? So you've, you've heard about Zoom and you've heard about... I don't know, Snowflake, you know, these companies that just took off during the pandemic, like they were they were nothing stocks. Now they're five, six hundred bucks. Or look at Tesla, right? Those companies don't have financially sound balance sheets. Okay. Right. They they benefited from having a technology that facilitated the state of the economy at that point. You know, the economies were shut down. How do companies continue to do business? Well, hey, Zoom was there for that's an answer. However, it didn't have all these cash flows and they just grew exponentially. Okay. So that doesn't happen all the time. And you just need to be aware of that. That Well, that's what I mean by the luck. Like yeah. that just was a consequence well, of a pandemic that yeah. had nothing to do with. Yeah, and pandemics <laughs> happen what every hundred, hundred and twenty years. I mean, so our our chances of seeing another pandemic are, are really slim, right? As we come out of this one. So what you look for is more of a company that is always, you know, they're growing, they're putting new products out there, they're, they've got huge amounts of cash flow, they meet their debt obligations, and they continue to grow slowly. As an addict, a lot of us consume tobacco. You know, tobacco companies pay huge dividends, and they are continually changing their product mix and changing their products to better society, actually, which is surprising. But they're increasing their cash flows, they're paying down their debt. And you keep getting more and more in dividends every year. They raise that dividend. And what a dividend is just cash in your pocket if you own that stock. They pay you to earn the stock. Hmm. So I think that gets back to why, I mean, at least for me, like it's better to have smart people that know about money deal with my money than me yeah. doing the what's the E-Trade and all that yep. other crap. Yep. Because And not that people can't do that and you mm -hmm. can't spend a bunch of – you got free time to sit around and investigate and learn. Yep. But if you'd have asked me, I'd have thought cigarette companies have got to be going down. Like <laughs> how can yep. anybody want to still invest exactly. in a cigarette company? Like people need to stop smoking. Even after you watch me every week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, but that's the thing, though. That's why that's why it pays to investigate is because that, that is the common uh, misconception that is out there about tobacco companies. Uh, Philip Morris is a huge international uh, tobacco company, and their focus in the next 10 years uh, – they're Marlboro, okay? Right. So they're international Marlboro. Their focus in the next 10 years is to do completely away with combustible cigarettes and go to um, – I forget. Icos, I think, is their product. And that is their goal is to make – society healthier but not having combustible cigarettes in society anymore and it's it's taken off but still keeping you addicted to the still nicotine. keeping you addicted <laughs> to the nicotine and their products but right, right. on a healthier on a level healthier level yeah, yeah. so it, and it's it's paying it's paying off in europe right now and huh. um they've got a huge market in japan and asia as well and i mean that's the thing it, again when you look at a company can they adapt to changing environments yeah you know what 10 years ago um cigarette companies they looked like Wow, there's all these health concerns, and you know people are really ceasing on smoking, and you know they looked like they were ready to die, but they adapted, changed their way in the markets, and here they are roaring back again. I'm so, a little bitter about this one. I feel like they also got their hands in some legislative pockets. Oh, that <laughs> Fucking over all the other companies well, that are. But trying if, to... if you look at that, they've been in. They've had legislative <laughs> issues for thirty or forty years. Yeah. So that landscape is nothing new to them. They know how to navigate it. They got yeah. people in Washington. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's and that's up to your you as an investor. That is your choice whether or not you choose to invest in a company that has that type of product. You know that uh, they refer to it as ESG environment social and governance um and basically my point of view is if i buy stock in say philip morris or altria i'm buying stock from someone else that already bought that stock all i'm doing is buying stock that's paying me a very healthy dividend and that is growing that dividend every single year so i take that money i reinvest it and we talked about compounding all that reinvestment 
if you just put down $5,000 and, and you put in, uh, let's say you get 100 shares of Altria out of that, well, you're getting three, four, 386 a year in dividends per share. That's $386. You reinvest that, that's going to buy you what we'll call it um, about seven, seven and a half shares your next year. You reinvest that on top of the 386 and it just starts compounding. Again, it's really slow in the beginning. It's slow for the first five years, 10, 12, 13 years later. You're going to, you know, double your share count. Now you've got 200 shares, and you're getting 786 plus whatever they increase that dividend to each year. 386 one year, 394 the next, 402 the next, and it just keeps going up. And that's where the miracle of compounding happens. So I could buy their stock, and then the dividends could pay for the travel for me to drive to Delaware because of their stupid fucking rules <laughs> that don't let me buy these in Maryland. <laughs> Absolutely, it really could. You could you, you have two different choices with your dividend. Well, you have multiple choices with your dividends. You could just take them and reinvest them as I am because I'm planning for my retirement. And I figure as that compounds for 20 years, then I'm, I'm going to have a nice little nest egg that's A, paying me well over two or $3,000 alone from that one stock. And B, that price appreciation as well on top of that. And C, the compounding, just the number of shares that have grown, I'm going to have the benefit of that. But you could also just take those dividends and put them into a, saving, into a savings account. You get paid quarterly, so you get four checks coming in each year. And you could certainly use it to pay for your gas, pay for your habit as well, right? If you budget it out, so yeah. So I and and I find all that fascinating. I don't I don't want to buy their stock because I want them to fail because they're fucking me over those. Yeah, bastards, and, but... and I, I'm certainly not trying to sell tobacco stocks. Um, that that's a personal decision. <laughs> but the same concept exists with oil stocks because uh, they're they're big dividend payers as well. Right. It exists with any stock that pays a dividend, really. Going, going back to a couple of things that were said, I found kind of interesting. One, you had brought up, and I don't know that we need to talk a lot about this, but you brought up like the idea of it is healthy if you don't feel in control of your money to allow someone close mm-hmm. to you to do that. And I, but the first thing I thought of was how many of us or people like us that came from traumatic backgrounds really yeah. have somebody they trust to hold their money? Like, sure. Well, and and not just that, but the. I don't know, perception in the media that like bankers and, and sort of not specifically you, but like mm-hmm. people like you are just, oh, no, definitely just my working money and, <laughs> yeah. and making yourself rich. And, you know, it's like that's so, a theme that I, I know that's really big. That's that's, <laughs> Being that's a huge right theme out there. But I mean, I would advocate for a financial advisor. And that's that's exactly what you're talking about. And you know what? So right, whether that's a family person or a yeah, professional or person a professional. or just someone that you know, and, and you know there are fees involved, absolutely. But you're paying for a service, right? So, do you want to turn around and just you know ha- do work for your friends for free all the time? I mean, that is that is the business of it, and, and generally speaking, that financial advisors overall they're called fiduciaries, and it, what that means, fiduciary, yeah, it's got douche right in there. <laughs> So, so a fiduciary, their responsibility is you first, okay? Your best interests are what they have to act on. And if they don't, then they are breaking their fiduciary responsibility and they're held liable for that as well. So basically, financial advisors, I think, um, are, are worth the money if you find one that's a good one or someone that you know. Um, they do have your best financial interest in mind. Um so that would be another option if you don't have anyone close to you that you know could help you manage your money to start. Not to be too social worky here, but like thinking grand scheme, yeah. big picture, right? Uh, I buy these stocks mm-hmm. in Philip Morris, mm-hmm. who's selling somewhat a healthier version of death now, yes. right? Uh, look, I, I vape. I'm not criticizing, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Altruistically, I'm giving them money to have to back them to be able to make more money for them. No. That's a common misconception. Okay. Okay. So so here's how it works. Um okay, that could be the case, but it's also very likely that's not. The only reason that could be the case is if Philip Morris decides to issue more stock on what they call a secondary offering. And if you participate in that issuing directly at the correct time, then you will be buying shares of that stock directly from Philip Morris and they will be using your cash. Generally, what happens though is if you just go out to say an E-Trade account and you say, I'm going to buy 50 shares of Philip Morris, 
you're buying it from someone else that's selling mm, it. Okay. So your money that your your money goes into that person's pocket. Not Philip Morris. Philip Morris right. never yeah. sees a dime of it ever, and okay. they pay you to have that stock. So that's that's and. and I'm using Philip Morris as an example because they're they're known mm-hmm. as a really good dividend stocks, and they happen to be in tobacco, which a lot of us love. So, I, I I'm not pleading, I'm not trying to sell it by any means. <laughs> no, I just no. want to reiterate that. But that is a common mis- misconception that if if you buy a stock for a company, then you're backing that company. Well, I'm well, hoping they it, do well. Yeah, I mean, what what <laughs> it makes them. you technically what it makes you is uh, an owner of that company, right? So you own shares of that company, and that means that if that company were to go bankrupt. You'd be very last in line to get anything left of that company, um, but yeah, if you buy a stock, you're you're really not financially supporting that company. Okay, but I'm so, but I'm cheering them on, right? Yeah, because you so, want to do better and you want more money from them, right? Absolutely. And, and I do know that you know from a world concept, like generally the people that struggle with nicotine habits are the lower socioeconomic people. So now every time I get that check, there's a part of me that's got to think. I'm benefiting from fucking over poor people. Like there's a altruistic. Well, I mean, part but are that. you really fucking over poor people? I mean, they <sighs> they are addicted to the nicotine. That's correct. Now we're getting to a philosophical. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right? So so yes, you, you are benefiting from them paying for that product. That that's absolutely true. I want right? to buy stocks in my crack dealer. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> so philosophically speaking, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna go public. <laughs> He's big time, man. Yeah, he had big runs. IPO next week. <laughs> this episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So when I first got clean, like most people, I was thousands of dollars in debt i had some my parents owned a business and so i was raised in a middle class family i had some concepts of investing money and stuff but i was in my early 20s um and i was thousands of dollars in debt and i got a decent job and then you know they had some things like a retirement plan and there was a guy there uh that basically i would say was the fiduciary for the company that i got (laughs) i guess i would say for free that would come in and give us some advice um is it better to go look for someone on your own, like your own personal advisor, or is someone offered through an employer or one of those type things just as so – I don't say just as good. I know that's a relative term, yeah. but – So so now now that brings – that's a good question, and uh, that brings up a number of topics, okay? So, mm-hmm. so one of the benefits of your 401k is when you get into tax planning, okay? So when you contribute to your 401k, that becomes – um, pre-tax, that's a pre-tax contribution. What that means is if, if you make $10,000 a year and you're putting 2000 into your 401k, your taxes are only going to be, for, for that year, you're going to be taxed on that $8,000, not the $10,000. Right. Okay, You pay taxes on your 401k as you withdraw it during retirement. So that reduces your tax burden every year, which is generally a benefit for everyone I could possibly think of. <laughs> um, the next benefit to a 401k is um, we kind of talked about this a little bit beforehand is whether or not your employer does a match. Okay. If they do a match, what you want to make sure you're doing is you're contributing enough to obtain that match because you're basically getting free money. Your employer is now giving you money towards your retirement. Um, after that, it's going to become more of a tax balancing situation. You can put more money into your 401k if you want to. You can put up to uh, 19500 a year. 
and that just reduces that tax burden that much, and you pay for it later on in life. Um, <laughs> After they've upped taxes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that's a gamble. And, and that's a really good point, though, is – you know, a question you have to start asking yourself at some point, and generally not when you're starting out, when you get to the, a later part of your life is, you know, how are my investments doing? A- am I a rock star and I've got a ton of money? And when that money starts coming out, is that going to be more than what I'm making right now? So in that regard, your taxes could go up, right? Mm-hmm. So that means, is it more beneficial for me to put less away into that investment vehicle pay taxes on my money now that I'm putting away so that I don't pay taxes on it later on in life. And then you're gambling. The taxes that I pay today, are they less than what they're going to be in the future or are they more than what they're going to be in the future? And and that's a question that no one can really answer. And that's that's going to have to be with some judgment. And then again, hey, am I going to be pulling 200 grand out of my retirement account every single year in the future versus the 120 or the, the 90 or the 80 that I'm making today? And, and that's that's a judgment call. So to, to further answer your question, after you decide what that judgment call is, then yes, you can either you know go open your own brokerage accounts, you can put them into an IRA, which is another tax-efficient vehicle or tax-beneficiary vehicle, or you can put them into a Roth IRA. The benefit of a Roth IRA is that you're putting taxed money into it. So all that compounding that we're talking about with Philip Morris, um, all the dividends, all that kind of stuff – you never pay another dime in taxes on it when you take it out. For a, a traditional IRA, it gets taxed when you take it out and you have required minimum distributions, meaning after you're 70 and a half years old, you have to take out you know, 4% of it a year or whatever the amount is um, that's dictated at that time. So, so is a simple IRA the same as a, it, traditional, a traditional IRA? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that's what we have now. It's a yeah, simple the, the, IRA. The benefit to it is that it grows over time um, without – you paying the taxes until you take the money out, but you do get taxed in the end. Um, the the problem, the only problem with a Roth IRA, and it's, it's generally not a problem, is that there are um, <clears throat> there there is a cap on how much you make each year, and if you make over such and such amount, then you you uh, can't con- directly contribute to a Roth IRA. You'd have to go the traditional route and then pay the taxes later on. What do so, companies get out of matching that four hundred one k? They get employee retention. Really, yeah. that's it. It's like health benefits. Yeah, it's just something and, that you offer they, to try they, to get better employees. Yeah, and they they probably I, I would imagine that I, I don't know for certain. I haven't studied that they they may get tax breaks on it too. Yeah, as yeah, well. There's got to be something. But um, <laughs> yeah. So so a lot of it is um, you know, employee retention is, is a big thing for companies, and you know, employees that generally want to do well and, and are planning for their finances would want to stay at a place that gives them a, a very healthy contribution and match to well, and for their 401k. My wife, the reason it's come up for Voices of Hope is just the, the altruistic version. She wants to she wants to invest in these people and have them living healthy financial lot, you know what I mean? And trying yeah. to teach them and give them opportunity to... <laughs> I, don't, I don't, don't see that in many companies. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, here, I'll buy that, sure, but a lot of places I, I probably smaller privately things. owned companies yeah. more than your big giant corporations. You brought up imagine. the gambling thing earlier and that kind of like the, the similarities to gambling and that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit. Yeah. I was like, huh, I guess like stock market stuff. Like I've never thought of that, but a lot of people with our kind of problem do have some gambling stuff. I don't yeah. personally, well, that's where but, I think the online Investing well, yeah, gets a, a little crazy, the Facebook, day trading yeah. and <laughs> the Dogecoin. And, and, and oh, that's Doge the thing because you, you get that rush out of it, right? Yeah. You, you buy you buy Zoom at 50 and, and you actually sit on it for a month, you know, from May until June or July last year and you're at, you know, 200 bucks. You're like, oh my God, that's amazing, right. you know? Um, but again, that's, that's also, I think gambling along with um, investments is kind of like your day trading that, that Billy brought up. And it, it's kind of like people just – they buy something, they see it go up, they sell it right away, and and it feels good to make more money. You know, it feels good to have that money money in your pocket. But that's also a short term gain where you get taxed the crap out of it versus a long term if you sit on it for a year. So, you know, it's it's back to that word discipline. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so one of the things I kind of thought of in in coming into this, like we come in here, you know, we talked about the debt. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of us have not healthy models of what to do right like we we don't realize this we think we leave our childhood home and we're just like oh now i can do what makes sense to me right but the truth is 
we learned two plus two was four in like first grade, and that's mm-hmm. what we know now. And it's the same for what our parents modeled for us. If our parents were unhealthy spenders or didn't have good finances, that's exactly our normal yeah. like reserve behavior to take into the world. And mm-hmm. so, that's we're, not we're, mine. I just got to defend my parents a little bit. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're fighting that. We don't have the concept of budgeting because it wasn't taught to us. You know, people always bitch. That's not what's taught in school. We don't learn how to do taxes. It would suck if we did anyway. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> Everything we got went to drugs, basically. At least yep. if you were a, a person like me, I know some people who did other stuff and were, I guess, manageable or whatever. I was like, I got nine bucks. Do I get a Twinkie? Nope. Nope. No Twinkie. <laughs> I'll steal a Twinkie. I'm going to go get high with this nine bucks. Yeah. Well, right? I will say, in fairness, I was somewhat manageable. Okay, using, that's fair. But not terrible. Well, I and, mean, not great. And then we have, uh, on top of that, a lot of people have criminal records, mm-hmm. right? Which Sure. Uh, I don't know specifically that there's any like rules or laws around, hey, if you have a criminal record, you can't invest in a Roth IRA or something. But right. they do keep us from living certain places. They mm-hmm. keep us from getting certain type of jobs. So we're yep. we're working with a smaller amount of money or a yep. limited capacity already. How do we fight that so against us? You're unlocking. I guess my timing is impeccable. That's what <laughs> I... Uh, I, I recently st- started reading a book. It's free online. It's a PDF. And it was written back in the mid-90s, and it's called The Millionaire Next Door. Hmm. And um, what it points out is there's, there's a huge, huge misconception of what a millionaire looks like. Right. All right. So so there's there's lots of them throughout the mil- United States, um, you know, hundreds of thousands and whatnot. However, most millionaires today have come from nothing. Right. They've had nothing. They had no backing from their parents. They never got an inheritance. They did it all on their own. A lot of them don't work these high finance jobs or lawyer jobs. You know, lawyers, you have this, there's this mindset of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. That's a lot of like a lawyer compares himself to another one. He's like, oh, I got to have this, got to have that. Well, you know, he has all this nice stuff. He looks like he's doing great, but he's got nothing to fall back on. Right. Your millionaire next door could be a construction worker. He could own an auto dealership, a used car dealership. He lives in a small house in a blue collar neighborhood. But the thing that they have in common is that, you know, they decided they were going to focus more on saving than spending. So so more saving and less consumption overall. And to your point of, you know, you weren't brought up that way. Well, that that's that's just that is a behavioral mindset that can hopefully be changed with education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we're talking about here is how do we bring in, you know, financial planning to people that are in recovery houses and stuff. Well, that that's the education that we're hoping will help change the behavioral aspects of us always wanting to spend that money and having it burn a hole in our pocket. Those are all behavioral attributes that can hopefully be changed with education. How many of the millionaires next door are in 12-step programs? <laughs> I don't know that they actually interviewed anyone. <laughs> 500,000 millionaires next door and six. <laughs> six are addicts. Yeah. Makes total sense. I'd believe yep. that, actually. Um, so it, it, do we need to legislatively fund some kind of like starter sobriety 12-step program program right or maybe there's like a year of training maybe there is behavior modification training maybe there is educational and finances and stuff we don't normally think about how to get insurance how to navigate the world of like insurance claims and like Uh all this shit that we don't would it be I feel like I read all these articles that are like, hey, if we invested a million dollars in pre-healthcare, we'd save $8 billion on the back end. Like, yeah. Would that save us a lot of money as a society to invest in some kind of, not just financial planning, but like overall like education for people newly in recovery? I mean, I think absolutely, but I'm, I'm in recovery, so you know, I'm supporting <laughs> that. I, I, you know, I think that there's still, unfortunately, a huge stigma out there. Really? against the recovery community you know and and people from for what i see a lot of people on that are not in our programs you know they they view the addict as as that addict on the street doesn't matter if they're in recovery or not they're just that addict you know right and, and they could use a 12-step program <laughs> and right. they could use behavioral modification and they could use um behavioral education to you know to enlighten them that you know there is life after there's really tough times that a lot of us go through i mean you talk about stigma and 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 not to like point the finger at you but like 
that's why we're not doing video with you today. Yes. And you're a handsome fella. It's not like you're just oh, in you. here and ugly and that's why we don't have you on, right? <laughs> <Yep>. like, <laughs> there's there's still a stigma and Absolutely. there's still concerns. How yep. will this affect my job and my career and my life, unfortunately? And, and you're not wrong at all. Yeah, Absolutely. It sucks. Yeah. And I'm aware of that stigma, which is why I'm trying right. to. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. That's what I said. I couldn't blame you. Yeah. Um. So let's say what what would your advice be for like the young young guy comes in he's in a recovery house thousands of dollars in debt he's got his 15 dollar an hour job at yeah. amazon warehouse i mean where should he start should he start trying to pay off the debt should he start trying to save should he start you know what what would you what would your advice to be to somebody yeah. coming in so again my my, my advice for step one always is to put together a budget okay just Write it down on a piece of paper, keep it in a notebook that you're writing, you know, other notes in or whatnot, but just have that budget and just visualize it and just say, all right, you know, I have this money coming in. What am I going to do with it? Well, I think there's a lot of options. You have debt obligations. Um, If you can afford to pay some debt, you know, make a small debt payment at each month, commit to $50 a month on something. If you can work out a payment program with whomever your, your lender is. You don't have to do that till you work step nine though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's when you start doing those yeah. ends um you know uh you can do that but i i think that to start you want to get the budget you want to get some savings and and again like i said i'll, I'll reiterate you know when you're starting out you're not going to save up six to nine months of savings before you're able to get out on your own but get that budget get a roof over your head get the job that that pays you that money and get a steady paycheck get a job that's steady i mean waiting tables i know Several people, you know, like waited tables and stuff. And and the problem with that, I, I used to be a waiter. The, the problem with it is that it's not always steady money. Mm-hmm. And especially you go through a pandemic. I mean, how many people lost their jobs, yeah, right? right? But you don't know on a given night how much money do I have coming in. The benefit of having a steady job of, of any sort is that you have that weekly paycheck. And if you work overtime, you just have the benefit of more money coming in. But you can at least count on a minimum amount every week where you can put together a budget that, you know, will work for you work with someone to put together a budget that will and then yeah uh start making small debt payments save your money for your rent buy your food um you know i read this advice the other day that i thought was really great is you know if if you're really trying to to save money and make it you know yeah we all want to go out we want to go out to dinner we want to go out to dinner after meetings we want to meet up for coffee and stuff if you can't afford it but you feel obligated then make alternate plans be like you know hey dinner sounds great but i just can't do it why don't we meet up for a cup of coffee afterwards or tell me where you're going to get coffee afterwards and i'll meet you there instead or hey can we do you know brunch on a saturday morning where it's instead of a 20 dollars dinner you're looking at like a 10 dollars brunch you know try to do alternate plans but still have that social engagement that you know makes you feel mm. like you're engaged with your, or with your i've noticed if you just say i don't have the money or i can't afford it usually the guy that's not so good with money will offer to pay for you yeah that as well hey you know what? the people pleaser will <laughs> right. waste his finances it's hot outside go meet for a snowball yeah. you know i right. mean I, I took my son out for a snowball yesterday it was like three bucks for each of us so you know you you've mentioned savings a few times right mm-hmm. and and i obviously retirement planning i'm not trying to belittle the fact that these are things that are needed savings accounts completely useful i I can't tell you how many people don't budget at all like i think it's a very high percentage of of our population but i did take an economics class at one point Mm -hmm. and i remember the teacher saying the entire purpose of money is to be spent like it's useless if it doesn't get spent if it just sits and he wasn't saying don't plan for retirement, but what do you think about that statement too? So, so that is more on an economic level when you talk about GDP and you talk about exchanges between countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it's totally applicable in the sense of an individual because you you need to have savings, you need to have a rainy day fund at some point in your life. I mean, you know, everything be going great, a recession hits, you lose your job, and then you can't find another one because no one's hiring. Um, unemployment benefits are going to be tight. They may not pay for all your bills every month. You're going to have to have some sort of savings to fall back on. Are you a Christian? I am a Christian. Okay. Because uh, there was that whole thing with Jesus and the money in the Bible where he was like, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jesus' advice, too, is yeah. to yeah. get rid of it. So you, you 
brought up something that I heard one time, and I always, it sounded like good advice, so I'll ask it. I had heard at one point that if you have credit card debt, whatever money you have in savings, you should just try to pay off your credit cards and use your credit cards as a rainy day fund versus having thousands of dollars sitting in savings, but then having thousands of dollars of credit card debt because you're paying higher interest on the credit card debt than you're getting yeah. in return for the savings. So so that's a slippery slope. Um, yeah, it, it'd be great if we had no credit card debt in the world. I, I completely agree. Um, or as, a, as an individual, not having credit card debt would be a huge debt relief burden. However, the, the only problem with that is if you blow your entire savings on your credit card, trying to pay off your credit card, and then if things were to happen and you live on your credit card, if you don't have any money at the end of the month to make your minimum payment on your credit card, then you get late fees. Your credit starts going to shit. And then um, your interest rates on your credit cards go way up. And that all just starts piling up very quickly. You know, a, a credit card payment at called 8% versus one at 26% because you missed two payments in a row, that's a very different card, credit card payment. Right. You know? So my suggestion would be sure, use some of your savings, but make sure that you have enough to get through a month or two at least if things get bad and don't spend it all on your credit card. Certainly try to pay it down and make those payments or make additional payments, but try to keep some rainy day fund if you, if you can. Um, and this was advice coming from trying to get out of credit card yep, debt, yep, like sure. not trying to maintain credit card debt, but yep. trying to get out of yeah, credit and, card debt. Yeah, and I've, I've read a lot of advice, and they, they call it like the snowballing effect. I forget the guy's name. He's he's interesting. Um, you know, tackling all your debt at once, and then you start saving. Well, I, I think that that's... I think that advice is. I you think gotta it's have good. discipline to do that. You yeah. gotta be really disciplined. But you could still make payments towards your debt, and you can make additional payments, and still have some savings because you don't you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, you just don't know when that payment is going to turn off. So that that payment being your salary, you know, you lose a job, your right. wife leaves a job, um, and, and and the amount of income you have coming in each month, you don't know if that's going to cut in half or not. So. You've got to plan ahead. And there's times when, when the credit card won't be able to be used in the future, depending on these circumstances yeah. that we can't predict, whereas that money that you're supposedly having savings will be accessible and be able to use no matter what, right? And so that, I think, kind of puts you in a scary situation, too. I think what you're saying is, yeah, if I'm paying you know 8% in credit card debt, but I'm only getting 1% a month in yeah. interest in right, the bank, then, yeah, it just makes sense. In the bank. Yeah, but... The moment that you spend that ten thousand dollars on that credit card debt, and if it doesn't pay it off, then now you still have credit card debt, and you don't have anything sitting in the bank. <laughs> so right. I, I don't know if you ever heard of the program Debtors Anonymous. It's like a twelve-step program for financial okay. ideals. Uh, it's a pretty interesting program. I, I went a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first things I heard that really struck me was they said somebody identified because you know we say, "Oh, I'm, I'm Jason. I'm an addict." In our meetings, right? Yeah. Uh, in these meetings, everybody kind of has their own thing that they say. It's a little interesting. And one okay. person said, I'm so-and-so, and I'm vague about money. And that's like one of their big ideals. And it struck me and just like hit my nerve. I was like, I am the vaguest motherfucker about money. Like I, <laughs> I make some, I spend some, I have no... And their idea is like, you need to be on top of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. The more you know, the better. You should know to the penny what's in your account at all times. Like mm -hmm. this should be obvious to you. And you should probably have a really good idea if there's investment stuff. I, I don't think most people go in yeah. there have investment stuff, but you should know what's where, how much it is, and, and and not be clueless about it, right? Yep. And I just thought that was an interesting idea because I am vague about money. Like, I don't budget so much. Uh, and, and more recently, I've gotten a little better with this. We have a basic budget. I have an allowance, so I know, yep. like, this is what I get to spend per month on whatever the hell I want. I think it's hard to fight those frivolous urges sometimes, right? Like, because cause sure buying is. shit feels good. It's a lot like yeah. the drugs. Gambling feels good. Buying shit feels good. It fills that void for a while. But another concept they have in those programs is the idea of some people are under earners and some people are overspenders, right? Yep. And you have to differentiate first to figure out which course of work you need to do on yourself. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of our population struggles with the under earning, right? Mm -hmm. Like we come in, we, we a have very low self-esteem, most of us. Yeah. And, and we think like, I'm not worth going after these better paying jobs or I'll never get that. Cause I have this 10 year gap in my work history and yeah. how, 
I think a lot of the struggle we have is that, yeah, hey, I can write out this budget as many times as I want, and every sure. time it says I'm coming up $700 <laughs> short a month to be able to afford life. So what right. the yeah. fuck do we do with that? Man? So so that's tough, right? And, yeah. and that's a tough situation to be in. But again, I think that um, you know that's going to be more of these little steps that you have to take, Okay. You know, if if you're just starting out and you're not making great money and you have low self-esteem, well, get that first job and just work it. And, you know, if you start getting raises and things along the way, that's that's going to make you feel better about your work ethic. It's going to help you start to feel like, you know, you are worth more. You may not be able to save a dime to start with. You know, you, all of your money might go to your expenses. You may not be able to pay any debt back right away. And, and that's fine. You know, I mean, you I hate to say, it, if you've been in debt for years, well, you know, what's one more year at that point, right? So y- you have to just work at it day in, day in and day out and just um, take it slow to begin with. And, and you know, if you can't afford the place where you're living, then try to find a, a place that's, you know, cheaper. And yeah, it may not be your ideal place to live, but if, if you're able to survive there and you're able to cut back on expenses just to start, then you can move into the nicer place in the future when your when your income comes up and, mm. and starts growing a little bit. But but again it's it, it's a lot of patience and it's a lot of discipline. And you know, you should also, I think, put your priorities too. You, you need food. You need to have a, um, a place to live at some point. These are not wants. I mean, you, we can't live without food and right. you can't live without shelter, right? Yeah. So then look at, you know, do I need to have a $200 a month cable bill? No, you, you don't need cable at all, right? Do people live. still do that? Is there still cable? Is that <laughs> a thing? Know, yeah, I, I have a cable bill. We have <laughs> cable too. <laughs> but, you know, with cable comes internet, right? So, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do have So, uh, I mean, internet is interesting because it, it's almost like it's a necessity yeah. these days, right? Yeah. I mean, everything's connected. And, and I wouldn't fault you for having an internet bill. <laughs> Nothing else. So maybe um, like with all these but, people that struggle when we get clean with overeating, we could just not eat for weeks at a time. Like, I'll just not eat this week. I'll save money and yeah. help my... <laughs> and, and water, you know, depending where you live, water's free. <laughs> and yeah. Water will fill you up eventually. Right. right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so so if, if you find yourself being really far in debt each month on your budget, then you're going to need to make some changes. And whether it is cutting back on food, you know, do I need to spend... Do I need to go to the most high-end grocery store in town if I can get what I need to live and eat? at the cheapest place in town mm. and go there instead. Or, you know, do I go, can I, can I drive 10 minutes down the road to a lower income area and do my grocery shopping versus going to the most expensive place in the County right. to, to do my or grocery like shopping? For me, it's packing a lunch, you yeah. know, do I pack my lunch and take it to work each day I, or do I, I eat out all the time? And saver. it's amazing how much money I will yep. save. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, I like to go out to lunch once a week when I go to the office and, and I mean, I spend 15 bucks and that's on one meal. You know, yeah. and so if you multiply that by say two meals a day, what if you went out for lunch and dinner every day and you ate cheap? You're still spending thirty dollars a day is two hundred ten dollars a week, just by going out to eat. I started taking my lunch to save money, and now it's like I am so fucking lazy. I'm not leaving work to go somewhere. Yeah. That's a pain <laughs> in the ass. <laughs> right. yeah, and, and you know that's a behavioral modification. Yeah, you know? it's so, so much easier to bring a lunch. There is a thing, though, that comes along with like what I fall into in, in trying to be disciplined and as with most things in life. It's like if I just try to stick to this rigid budget and save all the time, yeah. eventually I get to a point where I'm like, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. It's no fun. Yeah. I can't even have a fucking cup of coffee. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Like well, I can't spend four bucks at Starbucks, you yeah. know, because I want to drink. Like, but, that's but that's why you give yourself that cup of coffee yeah. and, and you cut yourself a break and say, all right, you know, yeah, I, I spent – 50 bucks yesterday get back i'm an addict budget. one is too yeah. many and a thousand yeah. never enough <laughs> exactly you know i mean it's, it's kind of like dieting you have your cheat yeah. days right and and you know what if if you cheat and, and you fuck up and you're like i'll get back on it tomorrow and, and that's fine i mean it's it's you know that's where i think aren't people struggle is to yeah. get back on it tomorrow i think we have this like failure mechanism or something where it's like oh i i'm, I'm all not 100 today so yeah. now i'm just all out yeah. and it's yeah. like we we struggle yeah. with that Dude, okay, it's a day. Right, yeah. you bought I had food one bad today. day. No Let's worries. just get back on it. Yeah, yeah. I've you been know. better with that lately, and yeah. I, it's so much easier. Yeah. I've been trying that too. Yeah, 
I heard a thing one time. It was the eighty twenty rule. It's like if you can do something eighty percent of the yep. time, that's good. Then enough. you're in good shape. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. So, so back to the fiduciary idea. Fiduci- I love that. I do um, too. <laughs> are there services or fiduciary services out there that are free, or was like if you're not someone that can afford to go to, you know, a um, professional, as do banks offer those services? Are there places you can get at least some basic? Because I think of things like okay, setting up a budget. I don't know that most people would know how yeah. to accurately set up um, a budget. I always forget you know? that. In it. You know, I, yeah, I, right. That, that's a I mean, great how question. How much do I spend on gas? Well, how much do I spend bono, on car insurance? How do the I pro factor bono in douches? I mean, right. <laughs> how do I factor in a monthly bill into my weekly budget? Because some weeks have five. I mean, some months have five weeks. <laughs> so you know, then, what you like could that. do is multiply it by fifty-two for all the weeks in the year, divided by twelve for your monthly average. Well, yeah, that's average easy is. for smart math people, but right, for right, some right. people, they don't know how to balance that? a checking account. So, yeah. <laughs> what about that part in your in your budget that's for the thing you don't predict? Right, like that's supposed to be part of your budget too the, like the oh yeah day. that thing that's gonna happen because there's there's always something that yeah. happens car bills car happen. bills the, yeah. the um, plumbing it, breaks whatever yeah i mean it's, i it, it all depends on what you can budget but i try to put away some money each paycheck just for car bills you know and, and yeah it sounds like oh well dude if you put away 25 a paycheck you know that's not going to get you anything with a car but that's true but you know cars don't break down every month they don't break down every week right. they may break down every year and at the end of that year i've got 600 bucks <laughs> to do some engine repairs and unfortunately maybe put the rest on a credit card or whatnot but you know it's it's the little it's the little ideas and it's the little amounts that up add up to larger sums in the end whether it's compounding or you're just saving in an envelope you know but no pro bono uh, financial expertise that you're aware of. Well, so I, like I, I think that's it a great even question. Need to be expertise. No, I mean, it, some of it people just need basic yeah, understanding of some of these. Can we principles. just all call you, Pete? Can you just give out your number? And we'll <laughs> Pete's going to give out his questions. cell number. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the only thing I'm aware of, and, and I think that's a great question. I, I do know that I sometimes get emails from a couple of um, credit unions that I'm a member of. And they do have seminars, you know, maybe one night a month or every other month. You have to look for advertisements um, where they, they would give free counseling. You know, probably more like someone that you, you're speaking to someone with your 401k at your company or they come in and talk to you about it. I think it's more along those lines. It's like an education session, but I, I believe that that is available. And then I think I, I don't want to speak for, for bankers and, you know, that are in branches, but I probably if you set up an appointment with them, you'd probably be able to go over some of the stuff as well. Right. So maybe checking with your bank, checking yeah. with your employer, seeing if they have a person that can help you, know, you with that stuff. That's a, great com- that's, a, that's a great point. I think HR would probably have an idea of either A, who you could talk to, or they may have people that can help with that as well, depending on the company that you're Right. With. Because and, – and- like at our company, like the guy, and he's great. He's a nice guy. He's helped me over the years do different stuff. We set up college savings for the kids yep. and things like that. Mm-hmm. But he also, like it's in his benefit to get me to invest in things because he gets, he gets whatever commission. commission. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's – I trust his advice, you yep. know, and, and try to follow what he says. And yep. he doesn't charge me money for it, but he makes commission on it, so it's a win-win hopefully. And there's probably something to be said, and I'm sure you want to navigate these waters cautiously, but just asking some of the more senior members around the program, like some of these people might have established money routines, and if you Mm -hmm. talk to enough of them and ask them about what they do, you're going to run into some people that sound like they're somewhat educated, at least enough to help you start a budget and stuff like that. Like, And I think that's something... Members who've been around a while probably are willing to help you with if they yep. know that's what you need. And I, I, don't, I mean, nobody's ever asked me. I, I'm glad because I'm probably not the person to ask about financial stuff. Yeah, don't stuff. ask me. <laughs> I, I mean, that's I a am great definitely point. not. I, I've actually helped a couple of people in the program um, that have asked for help and setting up budgets and things over the years. And um, you know, my my advice, I I have I have two things that I think. Um, are, are pretty easy. And the first one's, you know, setting up a budget. It, it could be as basic as I know I pay seven bills a month. Let me write them out what they are. I know that I make this much in my money coming in each week with a paycheck. And, and then, you you know, that just gives you a little financial picture. The next step to that is something that I, I actually do this. I have a ton of savings accounts where I put money from each paycheck for different bills. But also on a more immediate basis, I also have, it's just called the envelope system. It's very basic. You know, you get 
10 or 15 envelopes, whatever it needs to be, and you write that bill in each one, in each paycheck, you just put a portion of that bill in. And then at the end of the month, you have that money, you pay your bill. The next month, you start over again with your first paycheck. And you have to have the discipline not to go into those envelopes and steal that money right. from that bill. But you know, if you if you don't have transportation or you don't have a number of accounts and you don't want to, which is perfectly reasonable, you know, you can do something as easy as just setting up envelopes that you can just divide your money into. It reminds me of a guy, uh, Uzman, who did a lot of convention shares, and he talks about how Addict Man popped out and told him to open up one envelope where they were going to open up them all, but they opened them up all anyway. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it was funny. Um, so d- would you say that there's any difference between the financial suggestions somebody newly in recovery needs versus... I mean, obviously, I'm not going to think somebody same age bracket in their life because they've probably led a different life, have some different circumstances. But basically for the teenager or the person entering adulthood and just starting with finances, are those two pretty similar or is there a difference in there somewhere? They are applicable to anyone of any age pretty much. It's never too late to start a budget. It's never too late to start saving for retirement. It's better to start earlier than later, but it's never too late. Are student loans worth it? I mean, a lot of us come in recovery. We want to get an education and do something different Mm -hmm. with our lives. How tough is that to navigate? Because student loans are exorbitant. I mean, I can tell you right now, my wife and I, between the two of us, have $250,000 in student loan debt. Wow. And I mean, I have a master's. She has a couple master's. I think three now, actually, which is kind of ridiculous. But (laughs) (laughs) right, right. right. Um, But it's like, that's a house. Yeah. That's a fucking mortgage. And I don't think that's fair, but that's my own shit, right? I took it on, so I, I knew it. But what do you do with that? So I think that education is a personal choice. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that education is necessary in today's world. Right. Um, and I also think that an education is never a waste. You know, if, if you choose to spend... the the 50 to a hundred grand or whatever it is for your master's degree, that education is never going to be wasted on you. And and I think it's a worthwhile investment. Um, I paid off my student loans years ago. Um, but you know, I, I, I recall when I was spent or paying them and I'm sure I'd be willing to bet circumstances have not changed that much that the payments are either minimal or the negotiable. So that if, if you're having a hard time paying that payment, you call up the, the loan processor and you just renegotiate a lower payment each month and extend it out you know, further on so that you can make ends meet. And then as your financial picture changes and if you start having more money coming in through your budget, then you can make additional payments on it or raise that payment. Um, you know, and, and that's all due to personal circumstances, I think. But yeah, I, I think education is worthwhile. I think it's necessary. I think that the United States has fallen behind a lot of the um, – Eastern European countries and even the European countries in education as well. And I think that um, in order to better American society, education is needed. Yeah. They're coming up with some better avenues, too, for education without getting quite so into debt. My wife's doing a program now that's not near as expensive, and she yeah. was able to qualify for some sort of government grants. Yeah, there's a lot of— um, I forget what the name of it Pell is grant? right now. Uh, Pell Grant, yeah, 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 to cover a lot of her costs. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely worth looking into versus just going, signing up and paying all the money, you know, trying to talk yeah. to somebody about what what grants and things are out there, or what programs are there to help. That And schools also have numerous, numerous scholarships, like things that, that aren't advertised and maybe take unique circumstances. And You got to write you, an essay. <laughs> you got to write an essay, sure. But, you know, I mean, you, you could, uh, you know, try to pursue those as well. Well, assist. and from a personal standpoint, I think it's very different an adult who's in their late 20s, or early 30s, or even a little later yeah. deciding to educate themselves versus a 17-year-old kid making a decision about what they want to do with the next 30 years of their life. I mean, at 17, right. your brain's not even fully developed, and you're signing that kid up for hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt because that's what they're supposed to do. Like, I think that's very different than an adult who probably is going to be more likely somebody coming into recovery that decides, hey, I think I want to go out and try to get an education to better my life now that I'm in recovery. Nope, we're just like 17-year-olds. <laughs> I still see myself as 17 ah, in my brain. Right. So. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it. fuck it, they'll cancel it or I'll die. <laughs> yeah. 
whatever. Uh, so one of the aspects of financial planning that I feel like is n- never talked about that I hear, um, and something that I did not live within for most of my life, and I'm just starting to more recently, is the idea of society is partly my responsibility, right? And uh, all humanity, if we're not all doing well, I'm not doing well, right? So like this idea that I I guess it came from church a long time ago, the idea of tithing, right? I'll Mm -hmm. give 10% of my money to the church. I I don't give it to church, but I have come to the realization that I lived a lot of my years saying, I believe in giving back to society and we should contribute and all this shit and didn't actually live any of that, right? So I've chosen recently that 10% of my fucking income goes back to the community in some way, shape, or form. And I don't, we don't talk about that in financial health. And I I guess from the standpoint of a professional, that Mm -hmm. might not really be sound advice, but to me it's like, that fills something else in my financial life, which is like a, a fulfillment aspect and i guess somewhere i believe in this if i take care of the universe it'll take care of me too is that any part of your financial planning advice absolutely um but that that's also more on a personal level you know that's going to vary from individual to individual however you know along the lines of giving back to society you know that there are people that put into their plans that you know upon my death i want to give such and such amount to the university that I went to or to this foundation that I believe in or right. to, you know, to this place that helped me out. You know, I would love to give back to um, the the center that I went to to get the help that I needed. You know, I would love to. I, I don't have the financial means right now, but that is something that is on my radar as well. But um, yeah, that is that is something that, you know, if a financial advisor would help guide you towards savings towards that and working that into your budget where you just say, well, I'm going to do you know, either do this on a, on a monthly basis, maybe you're doing, or if my plan is, you know, upon my death, I want to leave 200 grand or whatever it is. Well, that would just be part of the plan of how do we get there? What investments do we need, you know, to build up that income to enable to leave it to them? So that is something that's very much in financial planning today. And there's an interesting movement you can research called effective altruism, which gets more in line with the cigarette thing. And you were talking about earlier, yeah. and it's like, how do we, how do we use our money to effectively further the growth of our society and our community? So mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. Something to look into. You got any more questions for Pete? I don't think so. All right. Well, Pete, I, I really appreciate you coming on today, man. I think this was interesting. I I hope it helps people. I know I, I feel like there's so many aspects to the financial health and well being of, you know, people like us, members of twelve step programs people just coming into recovery. I do think it's as simple as, Hey, let's start with this budget. And that can work so many wonders. Right. And from there, you know, the, the ways you can go with that are are exponential. Um, I guess what I learned today is play the lottery and hope for the best. (laughs) Spend all your paycheck on the the lottery. Budget is step one. (laughs) Step one. We made a budget and be. (laughs) And we budgeted for the lottery. (laughs) We're just going to play the mega millions every day and hope for the best. That's what I got. All right. Well, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Billy. Uh, I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, Stay safe out there, everybody. We'll see you next week. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>